You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles. You probably would have noticed I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Well, I have been here. I've been over on the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles, where I've just dropped a pretty well-received, I'm happy to say, audio documentary about Miguel Torres. Uh, for anyone who's been following me for a while, you'd have known that I dipped my toes into the audio documentary waters earlier on this year with the Full Contact Karate documentary about Alvin Prouder and Bob Furman. Um, but this new series is called Combat Chronicled, and it's going to be the the uh, sort of home for one-off documentaries, um, other than you know, rather than the Guide to Pride, which is a series, or uh, Right or Robbery, or Closet Classics. Um, Combat Chronicled is going to be the home for all the one-off documentaries, of which the Miguel Torres documentary, titled The First Great Bantamweight, was the first instalment. So I've been spending a lot of time on that. And hence why, to be honest with you, I haven't really had time for the for this podcast feed. I'm not that like I don't value your listenership, um, but it just took so much time, and I didn't want to make everyone wait any longer. So I devoted all my time to that Torres episode, and it took so long to write, create, edit that I just didn't want to look at this microphone again for a little while. So I took the rest of the week off. Wasn't even going to record today, but here I am nonetheless because there's a lot to talk about. Um, so yeah, if I did this full time, there'd be no problems. But you know, you, you work all day, then you come home, you you record, uh, edit, you know, write whatever. Um, I'm sorry, guys, I'm only human after all. So um, yeah, apologies for the lack of activity on this feed. But here we are. Um, am I going to talk about the quite frankly awesome heavyweight fight between uh, Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker? Am I going to talk about how Joe Joyce appears to have uh, turned around his somewhat fragile nature in the um, amateurs to be one of the seemingly most impenetrable, tough, durable, professional heavyweights around. Am I going to talk about that? Am I going to talk about how Shaquille Stevenson was absolutely electrifying in his fight with Hobson Conseil, and we're going to talk about uh, Tawan Chai versus Pet Morricot. I'm not going to talk about any of these things. They're in the past couple of weeks, therefore they're in the past. I'm sure you've already heard uh, plenty of chat about them. I'm not going to go over old ground. Um, what I am going to talk about from the past week is. Uh, uh, Patricio Pitbull versus Adam Boric. Uh, two fighters I've covered on this podcast before. Seems to be still close enough to this recording that it's worth talking about. Um, and not ancient history like that stuff of about 10 days to two weeks ago. Um, let's talk about a little bit of news to start off with. And of course, I'm going to talk about Alistair Overeem versus Badahari Free. Interestingly, the first bit of news I'm going to talk about is a fight that probably I wouldn't have even spoken about if there hadn't been relevant news about it uh, or a big news story about it. And that is the fight between Chris Eubank Jr. and Conor Ben, which was called off this week due to a, I was about to say, adverse finding. There's no need to sugarcoat it. A positive uh, steroid test for Conor Ben. Um, essentially, I wasn't going to talk about this fight. And I'll tell you why. I could tell everyone left, right and centre that's asked me about it 
in real life, which people did ask me in real life, which shows you what sort of crossover appeal this fight had, certainly here in the United Kingdom, um, but on forums and online as well, that for me, I was not interested at all in this fight as a sporting contest. Um, Conor Ben is a welterweight, and uh, Chris Eubank Jr. has fought as high as super middleweight, so um, at least, you know, for legitimate competitive ranked fights. So for me, this was a complete reach. It was a fighter moving up in weight way past his optimum, in my opinion, and a fighter being dragged down in weight uh, to quite a dangerous level, in my opinion. So, um, which played out because I think Chris Eubank Jr. looked very, very dry, even though he, he made the weight. So, fair play to him. I've been a critic of his in the past, not a massive fan by any means, but in Tony Ferguson's style, he made weight just to prove he could. And Connor Ben, who is now a complete question mark, really, because. Interestingly, he's completely uh, exceeded my expectations now. Um, as a fighter, he was clearly pushed early because of his name. Didn't have it at all. Has learnt the ropes. Has improved. Has steadily rose through the ranks in terms of his level of opposition. Has then outperformed his uh, his performances against uh, lower level opposition, against the best fighters he's faced, he's just looked better and better the better uh, opposition he's faced. And I had to say, do you know what? He is finally a legit fighter. Now, a positive steroid test doesn't change all that, because let's be honest, the majority of fighters are probably on the gear, whatever gear that may be. Um, the by, by the way, looking at it, it looks like the banned substance, which he has... Tested positive for is to sort of reduced, uh, is for reduced nipple sag. So almost certainly to counteract something else that he's taking. Um, uh, what's wrong? Allegedly, I have need to say that there. Allegedly, which could allegedly be seen as the reason for taking it is to counteract something else he's taken. I must stress that he is not tested positive for anything else. Um, so yeah, but I mean it doesn't doesn't do away with that um the actual change in his ability is there to see isn't just suddenly got roided up and just overpowering people although he has overpowered people and outpunched people but it goes without saying that you know the more gear you're taking the more you can train for the and he's already got uh you know built-in support system in the sense that he doesn't have to work another job doesn't need to shift tickets he's got a name he's i imagine his old man's got enough money behind him that he probably hasn't really had to work much in his life um, so yeah, I mean, everyone's on the juice more than likely, or more more than likely, nearly everyone's on some sort of performance enhancer, which is on the prohibited substance list. But you now have to sort of take a step back and say, well, he wasn't very good to start off with. Now he's knocking on the door of world titles. Um, you know, probably hasn't been tested to any sort of level before. Now voluntarily signed up for the for the for the uh, Vada. Uh, drug testing, which I think you have to do when you get to a certain level, certainly certain, um, certainly certain, no need for that, was there? You can tell I'm out of practice. Certain governing bodies in the bo- in the boxing world will insist that you're part of some sort of uh, clean uh, programme. Um, and as it obviously moved up now into into the ranked categories, he has now got to do that. Um, this fight obviously wasn't part of any sort of um, uh, rankings... Uh, importance because it's you know essentially a catch weight fight uh between two fighters that don't fight at these weights anymore i mean you made junior sort of middleweight fairly recently don't get me wrong um but connor ben is is a welterweight um but yeah so it's a shame because connor ben was starting to look like a legit fighter and as i say completely exceeded my expectations in, in certain matchups was going to be fed to the wolves, really. Um, I think Eddie Owen was pretty much cashing out. I think the idea was he was ranked with governing bodies, so he could go for a title shot. Wouldn't have necessarily been competitive in that. In fights that, given who the title holders are, are £147, wouldn't necessarily have sold here as a pay-per-view attraction in the United Kingdom. So the idea, to me at least, and this is why I was cynical about the matchmaking, was let's put him in with someone who we can sell as a pay-per-view. He'll get his block knocked off now but it'll be in a fight that will make some money in and you know if he loses the undefeated record probably the allure of him uh, fighting Eubank Jr. would have been gone forever um, 
And yeah, essentially, I think it was a cash out from Eddie Owen. I really do. And it's Eddie Owen, and we're going to be talking about now because in numerous interviews this week, most notably with uh, ID Boxing, Rob Tabbitt's firm, um, he has tried to squirm his way out of this. It's clearly been caught with his trousers down in the sense that he knew about this adverse finding. And what do you call that? He found out that his fight was fucking juicing and had been caught for it and was going to proceed with the fight anyway. So here's a clip. Why is the B sample not been tested yet? Because it's just a timing issue. You know. When was the test? Um, we're talking about a couple of weeks ago. So How long does it take for a B sample to be put through? Depends on, once you hear the reasons why that opening was dis was required by a scientist, you will see why. I can't say too much on it at the moment, but ultimately that sample will be tested by a specialist and all those conversations have been taking place. So the, the bigger issue here, Rob, is, in all honesty, is the technicality of VADA versus UCAD. British Boxing Board of Control do not acknowledge VADA testing. We had a very similar situation with Billy Joe Saunders where he had an adverse finding on his VADA test. Massachusetts banned him. The British Boxing Board of Control said his UCAD test was clear. We do not acknowledge VADA. So they need to make a decision what they want to do. If they don't suspend him, which they haven't and can't, he is clear to fight. Brilliant reporting by Rob Tebbett there, who's been consistently excellent all week um, in his question of Hearn and his, uh, his people. Um, what's interesting is the, obviously I'd say the fight itself, not particularly uh, interesting, um, in my opinion. I think that um, I probably, as I said earlier, probably wouldn't have spoken about it. Not a protest, so to speak, but from a sporting sense, didn't particularly be um, all that interesting. Um I think that it would have been a bit of a wash anyway, to be perfectly honest with you. What's somewhat interesting is, A, that clip of Eddie Hearn I just played there, um, I think it's interesting in the sense that Eddie Hearn shamelessly um, sort of tried to squirm his way out of that. I think he had already been trying to. That's just my opinion. Um, you know, he spoke about you know, the relationship between UCAD, VADA, and the British Boxing Board of Control, essentially saying, you know, on a technicality, you should be able to get away with it anyway. I don't really agree with that. But also, the um, the connection between uh, Connor Ben and Dr. Usman Sajjad, who I'd never really heard of. I've seen pictures of him now. I recognise him. And all the different fighters that he works with, including Tyson Fury. Um, I mentioned that for two reasons. A, he's the most, probably the most prominent boxer in the world right now. I'm not called... Canelo, um, in terms of name, stature, uh, and the sort of fact he is the number one heavyweight in the world and one of the best pound for pounders, etc., etc. But also because he's had an, uh, you know, a positive test himself before. So um, I think it's really quite interesting. And Fury himself, again, thanks to ID Boxing, uh, came out and uh, spoke on Dr. Usman in the wake of all this. Usman's a good guy, you know, I've known him about a year now, he works with quite a lot of boxers, and um, whatever happens, it's I'd definitely say it's nothing to do with um, Usman. So you've got no concerns on that behalf, and you'd say categorically he wouldn't have been involved? He'll be working with me for my next fight on December the 5th, so yeah, I trust him 100%. At least we've got Tyson Fury, a guy who's well known for being really consistent in his views. And as I say, he's never had his name sullied with uh, accusations of illegal performance enhancing drugs to put us straight on that. Uh, so, yeah, a bit of a shit show this week, uh, but perfect segue into another shit show we've got uh, oncoming, which is Tyson Fury's next fight, as he just alluded to there uh, in December. Uh, I think I spoke about the podcast the other week, the last one time we were here, uh, if not recently, then about the Joshua Potential fight between Anthony Joshua and, and Tyson Fury. I said then, it's not going to happen. It's all bluster. Uh, Mahmoud Char is more than likely the opponent. The Joshua fight appears to have fallen through. Char was uh, floated as a potential opponent. But now appears there's going to be a third fight with Derek Chisora, um, which seems to be completely pointless. We had um, Fury versus Chisora when they were both on the up as prospects. We had Fury and Chisora when they were both on the sort of cusp of contention um, Chisora had, uh, had basically gone through the ringer after the first fight he'd actually become a prominent heavyweight before Tyson Fury because he'd sort of been robbed against Robert Hellenius who then was somewhat um, highly touted as, as a banger um, then he had a really close fight with Vitaly Klitschko 
Then he had the mega fight with David A. And then he bounced back against a couple of, uh, you know, relatively well-known heavyweights if you followed the scene like I did at the time. Uh, likes of, you know, Kevin Kingpin Johnson, who's a professional loser, and Malik Scott, who also is uh, not exactly known for his wins, more for uh, his uh, losses, shall we say, uh, one of which remained, for some reason, one of the more controversial uh, of the last decade against uh, Deontay Wilder. But I think now we all know that Wilder just sparked him out. Um, at that point, people still didn't really believe in Wilder. Uh, funnily enough, after the Fury fights, they do. Uh, so then they fought again. Um, since then, Chisora has had a completely up and down career. He's clearly on the downside of his career now. Um, somehow, clawed back a big fight after beating Kubrat Pulev, who you know has been fighting in fucking bare knuckle. It's been you know knocked out in his own title fights. He's still a tricky operator. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't think Chisora looked particularly good against him either. To be honest with you. Um, but you know, Pulev's passed his prime himself. Um, before that, in his last ten, he's what six wins and four losses. Um, some of which have been impressive: the Carlos Takam fight, the back and forth fight with with Dylan White. Um, you know, he he fought relatively competitive with Alexander Usyk. I think people tend to overplay that. Um, he was competitive in the fights with Parker. Um, and obviously competitive in the win against Pulev. Um, but he looks hot and cold. Um, he says some disturbing stuff outside the ring. doesn't really seem to be with it a lot of the time. He never has, Dalboy, but he's had a long career. Um, and the question is why. doesn't really matter about the opponent in the sense of how competitive he's been recently, but from a narrative standpoint, why? We had them both as prospects. We had them both on the cusp of contention. We're now going to have Fury versus Chisora when Dalboy's past his best and Fury's at his absolute peak. I mean, if it was one and one or even those fights were particularly close, and I think the first fight was, was competitive, don't get me wrong. The second fight was Fury's real emergence on the world scene as a top quality operator because you'd had those performances by Hay, Hellenius and Klitschko to measure up against Fury's and Fury was absolutely clinical in that fight. Um, why now? Um, it seems like, you know, he's local... They sort of know each other. It's an easy fight to make. They can get it on, you know, relatively easily. Um, for me, it just seems like a complete waste of everyone's time. It's not a fight befitting the number one heavyweight in the world. It's a fight that would be fine if like, the WBA regular champion was taken on or like an IBF strap holder or something. But Fury is the bona fide number one top draw, top reputation fighter in the world. So for me... Him taking on Chisora is a complete joke. Mahmoud Char would have been even worse. Um, Chisora is even more pointless because they've already fought twice, um, and not really much. Not much good can come from this fight, in my opinion. It's a shameless effort for Frank Warren and Tyson Fury to desperately try and cash in one more time in 2022 on Tyson Fury. I don't think it would do particularly great business over here. Um, although they'll try their best to sell it, be lots of press conference shenanigans and whatnot, but. I think the British fans, as gullible as they are, they're well aware of Chisora's level because he's been ubiquitous in the domestic heavyweight boxing scene for so long now. And uh, yeah, it's there's sort of no unknowns there. You probably sound better if you brought David A back for one last dance. Do you know what I mean? Just because it's like you know David A's been out for years. He's his toes better. He's completely over the belly you lost. He's back. Um, yeah, okay, maybe not David A, but you get the idea. Um, so yeah, I think it's a complete waste of time. And I won't be wasting my time with it. So maybe I'll catch it the next day. And obviously I will want to talk about it because I'd like to cover the best ever weight in the world. I just hope next time I cover him after this fight, if it does indeed happen, it'll be in much more interesting circumstances. I'll tell you something, uh, circumstances that are somewhat interesting. One Championship's finances. Um, yet again, not looking good. Uh, it's reporting this week by Anton Tabueno and John S. Nash, um, my former colleagues over at Bloody Elbow. I do such great work, along with Paul Gift, on this sort of stuff. Um, reporting that 2021, $110 million in losses. $383 million in total, uh, since they can scale back in terms of records. What does this mean? Well, what it means is, surely, that one championship is somewhat in trouble. Um, we know for a fact that they love... Chat Sit John Dong loves to report on the... How... 
popular the organisation is, how many social media hits they get, etc., etc., which actually, as of late, appears to have been a bit more true. Um, you know, when I've pulled up live streams, seems to be a lot more people in there than there used to be. Um, and we know that he loves to report on the new rounds of financing and all the investors they've got, etc., etc. Now, I used the word allegedly earlier. I'm going to have to use it again because I have no clue whatsoever. But And it's not even alleged, actually. This is not... No one's made this allegation. But unless this is some sort of money laundering scheme, um, which it isn't. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it definitely isn't. I'm saying unless a company like this was somewhat nefarious, I do not understand or foresee how they can continue making such huge losses. Um, as we know, all startups do, do tend to make losses to start off with, but actually one championship has never been uh, more prominent, really, in the combat sports scene. It really is seemed to be at its sort of peak in terms of popularity, and they're still making huge losses. Um, I think I said on a podcast a while back that it was crazy. They can let people into events in Singapore, but they sort of still were holding events behind closed doors for some reason. It was weird in big arenas. Um, unless, like, you know, they got that free of charge and they didn't stand to lose anything extra by not letting anyone in. I didn't really understand the sort of thought process behind that. Um, and, yeah, you know, these, these numbers are reported in the wake of a couple of successful shows on Amazon. Um, not on Amazon UK, unfortunately, but I believe everywhere else, on Amazon Prime. Which makes me think, anyone who follows the American sports scene will know that Jeff Bezos has constantly uh, been mentioned with buying out an NFL team, uh, or an NBA team. The Seattle Supersonics, for example, you know, starting them back up. His name's, I'm sure his name's been mentioned. Um, but his name was mentioned with the Denver Broncos. Um, I'm sure his name will be mentioned with the Phoenix Suns now going up for sale. Um, but yeah, an NFL franchise has always been, um, or at least in recent years, something which Jeff Bezos has been associated with. Now, I doubt he has time to watch most of the content, but for a you know multi, multi, multi billionaire who, given the money spunks on Amazon Prime TV series, um, or allows that division to to spend, he clearly likes having a bit of a sandbox to play in, and. It would be somewhat of a face-saving exercise for Chattery to be able to say, look, where well, I took one championship, the biggest company in the world wants to buy it. Um, maybe that might be an avenue. I don't know. I'm just making, you know, sort of reading the tea leaves here and trying to make any sort of connection. Um, because if something like that doesn't happen, I can't see how one championship can survive in the market. Um, they're paying... From what I understand, kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters, really good uh, purses. Um, obviously, I think some of the mixed martial artists have obviously been... I think Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson both have on record saying they're getting paid decent money, more so than they were in the UFC. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that was part of the appeal. Um, and Chatry has recently announced a huge deal uh, to promote Muay Thai in Bangkok, which is which is a massive, massive thing. Four ounce Muay Thai in the, in, in the Bangkok major stadiums is uh, quite a turn out for the books. Um, so they're still making moves. But I think if the 2022 figures show a similar uh, sort of downturn uh, and a similar sort of loss, when he goes to his next batch of fundraising... I just don't see how people are going to continue to say, yeah, this seems like a worthy investment. Unless, like the sort of Warner Brothers Batgirl fiasco, it's some kind of huge tax write-off. I really just do not understand how can they hope, how they uh, can hope to sustain this. So, yeah, very weird. Um, and, yeah, let's see how it goes. They're still putting on really interesting cards, some coming up, some that have been in the last couple of weeks. So, excellent stuff. Uh, before I move on to the actual, um, the actual fight-based uh, coverage on this episode, I am well aware, well aware, that Leona Pettis' uh, K1 Grand Prix win went completely unmentioned on the podcast due to timing and due to the other reasons I've mentioned. But if you can get those fights, if you can check them out, 
please do. Um, an amazing uh, GP win for Leona Pettis. Finally winning a K1 uh, title, super featherweight title. Beating the much vaunted and highly touted Hirotaka Asahisa in the final. Really close fight. But most impressively, uh, well not most impressively, but even more eye-catching uh, in even more eye-catching fashion, sparking. Uh, Tatsuo Oyo is one of the sort of toughest guys around with a flying knee. Just an incredible knockout, which will surely be in the running for knockout of the year um, in the uh, end-of-year awards. And, um, you know, had Leona managed to actually beat Ken Nakamura at the match and defended K1's honour. Good performance down the stretch, don't get me wrong, but in my opinion, a fair loss. He would almost certainly have been running for fighter of the year. Um, alas, it was not to be, but this has got to be one of the, perhaps the defining moment of a really great career. And it's just fantastic to see Leona pull out the win. So did want to touch on that. Um, as I say, I probably should have caught it at the time and I did obviously watch the GP event, but I think I sort of already started recording that day's episode and then watched the event and then came back to it um, and sort of dipped in and out. Same with Ryzen. Uh, with the recent Ryzen card, uh, again, as I said, in the past, uh, not necessarily going to uh, cover it in, in great depth, but it goes without saying that there are a couple of fighters on the card that I mentioned previously, um, like Horiguchi won uh, against Yuto Hokomura, which was actually a really fun fight while it lasted. Um, got dropped early, and I started to think that, okay, Gucci's passed it, but then he completely turned it on. Um, Floyd Mayweather battered uh, Mikuru Asakura at the end of the second round. Um, again, not really much to speak about, but um, I think as I've alluded to before, if you try hard in these exhibitions, Floyd will beat you up. And if you don't, you're more likely he won't hurt you. Um, and Mikuru tried to fight Mayweather and then Mayweather just battered him. Um, uh, Kuzi versus Jizzy Mac was hilarious. I mean, Jizzy Mac is funny enough. Um... I saw a lot of people online saying, if you're a big bodyguard and you can't beat a tiny kickboxer in a fight, why are you a bodyguard? Well, in a real fight, in the in the street, if someone got near Floyd, he'd throw himself onto the guy, probably spear him and pound him into mush on the mat. Obviously, he's not going to beat an actual, like, you know, regardless of what you think of Kuzi, of, of he is a world-class kickboxer and has been in there with, with everyone. So, um, yeah. Um, not going to, again, not going to go over and over and over and over the card, but... Uh, Siwu Park beat uh, Hamasaki and uh, Seika Zawa uh, beat, uh, I couldn't pronounce the name when I last had her on the podcast, Anastasia Svetkivska, Ukrainian girl, top amateur apparently. Um, she actually really impressed me. I think I said on the other podcast when she fought Reno late, earlier on in the year, um, good stand-up skills. And uh, Izawa, she was last year's fighter of the year, she reminds me somewhat of uh, Sakuraba in the sense of she not only gets in bad positions but seems to thrive on it um, and will catch you in the end. So, um, yeah, another solid year for her. And although, you know, Ayaka Hamasaki's been an amazing servant to the sport, Siwu Park versus Seiko's hour seems like the, 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 the right fight, the rematch we really want to see. I didn't want to see... Is our Hamasaki free after the first two fights? So, again, not really analysing these. Just a quick sort of roundup on what's been going on while I've been away. But let's talk about some real fights after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Bellator two eighty six, October the first. Yes, did say I wasn't gonna talk about fights from a little while back, but this one is an important one. Um not just gonna fight itself, but sort of what it tells us about uh, a fighter who's having a really great career. So uh, we're only really going to talk about the the main event, any sort of uh, any sort of real detail. Uh, Patricio Pitbull defeated Aaron Boric by decision. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast um, regularly will know how highly I rate uh, Boric um, and how highly I rated his fight early on in the year with Mads Burnell, which for me was one of the, was a really great, um, uh, two-way technical. I thought it was just just a superb uh, fight, and absolutely one of the best of the year, I reckon. Um, yeah, it's got to be right. Um, and what uh, episode was that? That's probably got to be episode. God, this is shit podcasting. A while back. It was a while back, and uh, a really fucking good one if you want to go and find that episode. Awful podcasting. Um, anyway, that's not important now, because it's important to the extent that we know what Boric can do against uh, fighters of different styles. Uh, Bernal gave um, Boric more to work with. He was aggressively countering him, intercepting knees, etc. Again, spoke about it in that episode. Should have done my research and told you, really. Um, what's great about Patricio Pitbull in this fight, and in general, the efficiency in which he works. Just a ludicrously experienced veteran who knows how to do just enough. It's not great to watch. I'm not going to lie. It's not great to watch. He just did what he needed to do. Um, Reminds me a bit of sort of like uh, what Bernard Hopkins was doing late on in his career. Just doing enough. Just showing a right hand. Just showing a jab. Um, distance management. Taking Boric, basically taking away Boric's best weapons, which is say sort of... Um, he sort of uses sort of a Muay Thai skill set, Boric, um, making him wary to let too much go because of the counter. Let's actually just break down what Pitbull did. So he took time off when he needed it. Uh, a lot of sort of back rides and whatnot and uh, sort of backpacking Boric and just taking his time, running the seconds down, not doing too much with it. Um, same with catching his flying knees, dumping him, just, just you know, taking his time on top. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, on the feet, um, making Boric wary of the counter, the cross counter especially, but you know other counter right hands. Um, Boric not able to throw in combination because he's wary, um, constantly having to reset. So Boric would throw a jab, he'd reset. He'd throw a kick, he'd reset. Constantly resetting. Pitbull not uh, giving him anything to work with, making him, uh, making Boric lead, making Boric follow, and making Boric hang out at range. Anything. To lower his output and make you know pitbull stuff is clean, nice, nice, uh, clean, powerful uh, counters. As I say, with the right hand, nice, clean, low kicks, then back out of range, just constantly causing his man to reset whilst getting the better of the exchanges, of which there were few and far between. Just raiding him basically, just, just nice uh, generalship essentially, uh, whilst landing nice, clean blows. Late on in the fifth round, Boric started letting the combinations go. Started having some sort of success. But it was too too little too late. Uh, Pitbull easily won that fight. Easily won the decision. Um, just diffused Boric. Not, you know, tantalising to watch. Impressive to watch, you know, for a purist. Like, it's really nice to see, a, 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 say, a, a veteran of the game 
still putting on excellent performances. But what really strikes me about it is what it tells us about Pitbull himself. Pro for you know the best part of 20 years, he just looks even more now more than ever. He's always looked small in like Cara Canyon and whatever back in the day, but he looks really small at 145. Much like Horiguchi does at 135. Um, he looks really small. And what that means for his legacy is twofold. Um, first, it's really impressive that he's beating these big guys whilst being past his prime and small. And also, it sort of makes me think that you know he's been fighting much of his career at a weight where he probably it's a bit like Jose Aldo. Actually, less less than Jose Aldo. Aldo looked like a tank at 145 for a while. Um, just happened to have a couple of tanks get him towards the end. Guys who should be fighting at 155, 170, etc. Um, maybe not should be in McGregor's case, but can do uh, 170. Max and Volk, you know, and even Volk's a, a short fella. Um, they're, they're hench. They look like uh, 155, is in my opinion, whereas Aldo could safely make later on in his career uh, 135. So with the right diet, probably always could have done. Um, Pitbull looks like he can make 135 without breaking a sweat, to be honest with you. So yeah, given his age, you know, his diminutive stature at 145 and the fact that you know, fighters like AJ McKee and Alan Boric are fighters that are really rate. Um, uh, yeah, and, and you know McKee is clearly a capable 155er. Uh, again, it's sort of like you know a 135er beating a 155er, similar to Pitbull when he beat Michael Chandler, um, who's like a tank at 155, a short one, but a tank all the same. Um, just really just adds to his legacy, his longevity, the quality of his opposition. Um, and we'll talk about a little, a little bit about that in a second. And the quality of his opposition, and yeah, so his longevity, and it's, it's, it's all round skill. And if we talk about the quality of his opposition for a minute, um, touched on Boric, obviously. AJ McKee, who he's one on one with, really impressive to overturn that. I spoke about that on the podcast uh, you know, earlier on in the year. Archuleta, Chandler, uh, getting the better of the series with Daniel Strauss and Pat Curran, which is just one of the crowning achievements of £145, in my opinion. Um, really, really do think so. Diego Nunes, uh, you know, as Caracanian I mentioned earlier, just he's fought a who's who of 145 is outside of the UFC and, and WEC essentially. Um, and as I say, Michael Chandler is still a ranked 155er in the UFC, so th- there's no doubt that Pitbull has always been capable of mixing it with the best. Would he beat Aldo Volk? Holloway doesn't really matter. Um, the fact is, he has been perpetually like a top five 145er for like 10 years. Um, and has shown bounce back ability late in his career. That win over McKee, regardless of what people will say about him. Oh, look how limited he looked. He looked like a monster on the way up. He smashed Pitbull. Old fighters getting smashed inside a round by younger, significantly larger fighters don't tend to turn it round and dominate them in the rematch. That regardless of what you think of McKee, regardless of what you think of Bellator, is a crowning achievement of his career. And I said earlier, coming on top, uh, out on top of the series with Curran and Strauss, just fucking incredible stuff. So Pitbull's an all-time great, in my opinion. Uh, you know, a top five all-time great featherweight. Um, as astounding, considering, as I said, I think he looks like he can make 135. Um, a top 50 all-time fighter, pound for pound, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, could potentially looking higher, um, you know, just a, a, just a brilliant, brilliant fighter. And uh, next step, I hope he goes to one thirty-five, and and that's kind of what I want to touch on. We we clown Bellator all the time, but if you look, you know, the one thirty-five GP is fantastic. Um, it's a bit up and down at the moment. Don't get me wrong. Um, with uh, Sergio Pettis's injury, and uh, you know, Gooch arguably getting robbed, and you know, whatever. Still a really impressive uh, tournament. I'd love to see the winner fight uh, Patricio Pitbull. I'd love to see Pitbull just fight Pettis for the bout while the tournament's going on and maybe fight uh, Stotts or whoever wins the tournament. I think that would be awesome. Um, there's plenty of stuff that you can do there. The lightweight GP is looking great. As I said, AJ McKee, uh, who won on this card um, in a quite a fun, fun fight, actually, with, with Spike Carlisle. That was a really uh, fun fight, more fun than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, they've got... Um, yeah, the other pit bull, whatever, it's decent enough. Usman the Mega off uh, Benson Henderson, who also fought the other week and beat Peter Quelly, looked pretty decent on that card. Considering, you know, Benson again, I've said before, I think another guy who's all about slowing down the pace, 
knowing what to do, but he's not known how to do that since his prime. Um, still an interesting uh, entrant into the 155 uh, Grand Prix. Tofik, who was in Rising before, super impressive. Um, Shabley, obviously, from ACA, uh, super impressive. And there'll be a couple more, I say. Jamie Key will be in that tournament. There'll be a couple more um, yet to be announced, I'm sure. Um, that's just it goes to show, as much as we clown on Bellator, Scott Coker knows how to... He doesn't necessarily know how to cultivate talent. Doesn't necessarily know how to uh, keep older talent. I mean, he does with, with certain fighters, as I say, Patricio being one of them. Um, but God, he knows how to sort of get a decent bunch together and put on quality tournaments. Um, and I really am intrigued for the 155 GP, the 135 one. As I say, just tantalising, stacked with talent. Um, Bellator might have some uh, things worth laughing at. But the fact of the matter is, there's a couple of divisions that they've got some real class and real quality. And I actually have no doubt that the winners of those tournaments would have no trouble whatsoever competing at the upper echelons of the UFC. That's how good they are. Um, see it with my own eyes, some really quality fighters. And uh, Patricio Pitbull, I think at 135, you'd have to say, even at this stage of his career, you'd be excited if he signed up for the UFC. Um, phenomenal fighter, legitimate all-time great. You might think, Adam Boric, why is that the crowning achievement of a, you know, of, sorry, one of many crowning achievements for an all-time great fighter? And the fact of the matter is, a smaller past-prime fighter um, at that age, with that level of experience, beating a much larger, uh, really like, quality operator is just not something we've seen many often. Uh, many, many often. Well done, Kyle. Um, it's not something we've seen often in... The sport. Um, it's why, you know, when Jose Aldo went down to 135 and picked up Winslow likes of Vera and Font, it's super impressive to beat ranked contenders when you're that uh, at that stage of your career. So, yeah, um, absolutely brilliant. And uh, long may Patricio Pitbull's uh, Bellator reign continue because he is indeed their best pound-for-pound fighter. And I'm intrigued to see what Scott Okoka does next. I think... Uh, he's done everything that he can do at 145. The idea of him fighting Aaron Pico would have been intriguing, but uh, if you don't know by now, Aaron Pico suffered, a, I think, a shoulder separation or something, uh, which his corner laughably tried to rem- remedy in between rounds. Um, he's probably even w- even uh, worse off now. Um, really tantalising fight for Aaron Pico, but just you never know what's going to happen with that guy, man. He is just... As I said earlier, you know Scott Coker doesn't have a cultivate talent. What the fuck has he done with Aaron Pico? Just an absolute mess from start to finish, despite him showing real flashes of class. Um, perhaps one of the most MMA-ready prospects of all time. Coker has uh, ground him in the dust. Well done, man. Um, from one fighter with a uh, great long career to another, um, Alice Rovereen defeating uh, long-time rival Badahari. Um, glory Collision 4, that was this past weekend. 8th of October, um, rivalry which goes all the way back to um, Dynamite 2008. They last fought uh, the K1 GP 2009. Um, and the last time Reem fought in kickboxing was his famous K1 GP win in 2010. So this was sloppy as fuck. Um, this was a mess. Uh, Reem always known for being able to switch into uh, kicks and his legendary in my opinion sort of switch sort of instep knee which he's just been always always been great at seemed to be doing some sort of weird Tyson-esque constantly switching shifting uh, pressure sort of fighting style with none of the sort of speed athleticism finesse of Mike Tyson um, really was playing into that uh, a lot Balahari was a big old chunky Bear nowadays, um, you compare it to their earlier fights, um, believe it or not, Reem looked quite svelte uh, back in the day, um, before 2010 anyway, certainly before the sort of, uh, I say svelte, not svelte, svelte compared to what he looked like in his Uber Reem days, and he was already getting there when he fought Harry the first two times, but really, you know, um, sort of K1 GP win up until he got popped before the Lesnar fight. That was sort of Verdum, Todd Duffy, those sort of days. Rogers, he looked ludicrously big. Um, he didn't look that big here. Uh, so Balahari looks chunky nowadays. Not his. Uh, he was lean in his prime. 
uh, lanky fucker really um, always been a glass cannon and that played out in this fight say Reem doing this weird shifting kind of thing um, just compared to their first two fights obviously it's unfair they're you know in their 40s now but the finesse in which those guys had and the, the, the speed in which they were to pull the trigger on their counters and how they put their combinations together it's so um, sort of dynamic in their primes um but very much sort of still have the same flaws nowadays. Um, Balahari timing over him uh, early. Over him, as I say, really struggling. This he kind of shifting into punches. He wasn't um, into Hari's punches. I mean, you know, he wasn't really shifting into anything that worked really well. He was sort of trying to cut Balahari off. Wasn't really working. Um, he was getting tagged early. Worked his way into the fight in the second. Balahari, of course, fell apart. Dropped a couple of times uh, in the third. But um, before that, he was. Drawing uh, Reem's reactions, going high, going low, level changing, catching him with good shots. Uh, the Reem eventually did just sort of pressure him, out-muscle him, uh, out-hustle him, and uh, land shots uh, coming up from underneath and, and, and clubbed him down. So, um, fun, not quite a car crash or a fight or a train wreck, but a good old-fashioned slobber knocker between two boys who have been doing it way too long and, and should know a lot better. But, um, I mean, the Reem, man... He was a world beater at one stage. He was never number one in the world. There was a time where people thought he was. There was a time where people thought Gay Guy Musassi was the number one in the world as well. It was that sort of time. Um, sort of, uh, as the ring started moving up, officially to every weight, but just moving up in terms of his weight and his bulk, there was a time where we all thought that, you know, maybe it is just horse meat. Maybe it is just horse meat. It was not just horse meat. We know that now. I love the Demolition Man of old. I love Uber Ream, of course. The Ream. I used to love watching his little uh, documentaries when he was training out of Pattaya and that in Thailand. Um, he never really was the number one. Fell apart, obviously, when he got to the UFC. Once he popped and suddenly his chin was getting found left, right and centre, which was always somewhat of a... Uh, uh, sort of... Uh, it, it was what was fallible in his style uh, and in his makeup. Never had the best chin. But again, he fought a lot of bangers. Managed to drop the true heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, banging his own prime before uh, succumbing late in the first round. You know, the fact of the matter is, he beat all-time great in Fabrizio Verdum more than once. Um, and lost to him. Um, you know, he fought from Pride, UFC, Strikeforce, Dream, fought the big dynamite events, rings... You name it. Pride, did I say pride? I think it was, yeah, I did say pride. Of course I said pride. He's done it all, Alistair Overeem. K1 fucking GP world heavyweight champion. Back when that still meant something. That was probably like the end of my K1 fandom. I think I spoke about this in the match super episode earlier on in the year. Um, how I sort of fell off from being a K1, big, a big K1 fan. Fell off after sort of, after the Reams GP win. As K1 started falling a bit, completely became a Muay Thai, an ardent Muay Thai fascist, of which now we all hate, you know, and we love, we love Muay Thai. But those type of people, there's no need for that. The ring was sort of the last bastion of my sort of hope for, for K1 heavyweights. It was never, we'd never get back to the glory days. But he felt special at the time. And uh, it was nice to see uh, him do it again. He's obviously going to fight Rico. Um... Actually managed to have this fight in Holland. Um, I think in my in my sort of picks for the year, which might have been like one of the first episodes I did, if not the first. I said my pick was that I didn't think the Rico fight would happen this year um, due to the sort of the fact that uh, the guys in the Netherlands, the, the sporting bodies, were cracking down on uh, sort of drug use, but they managed to have this fight there. So I imagine they—they they were. I think they were going to do that fight in Belgium, and it got postponed. Um, they are. I think they will end up doing that in the Netherlands. I think Rico at this stage will beat the Ream, but you know Rico's not. He's quality, but he has close fights with people that you think he wouldn't have. So, uh, based on this current form, the Ream will get picked apart and destroyed. Um, but fuck it, it'd be great if he won the Glory Heavyweight Title, wouldn't it? Um, so I don't know when that will be. I imagine next year now. Um, yeah, so we should get to see the Ream again. And uh, 
uh, wasn't great, a bit of a shambles, but um, fun if you can find it. Uh, worth a watch, especially as I say, if you followed the ring for a while like I have. And Badahari as well, um, who is, you know, by all accounts, a truly awful guy outside of the ring. But it's fucking hard. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's an hard fucker. Um, glass cannon, lots of, lots of fucking really fun fights over the years. Um... I'm surprised. If this had been more than three rounds, don't think he would have seen the end. Um, he's fallen apart at the seams by the end of the fight, but that's better than some of the fights I've seen him have in the past, So where he's been absolutely fucking wasted. Um, yeah, worth a watch. Um, just worth a watch. I'll tell you what's better than worth a watch. I'll tell you something that's worth a listen. The Miguel Angel Torres documentary over on the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. And if you go over there today, You'll see I've uploaded for the 25th anniversary of Pride 1 the official on-site program brochure from Pride 1 uh, from Tokyo. Check it out. There's more coming where uh, Pride 1 is is concerned. be coming in the next couple of weeks. And this podcast should be back to regularly scheduled programming this coming week where we've got lots of boxing to talk about. A bit of MMA as well. And you may have heard, but there's an even bigger UFC card next week. There will be no mixed uh, media, uh, mixed media, mixed sport media that week. It will all be UFC 280. That's coming soon. This weekend's going to be a bit of a mixed bag. But yeah, head on over to the Patreon to get more bonus stuff. Tell your friends. Thanks for listening. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.